I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I know that in the house of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And at his right side, right hand side, is pleasure forevermore. Join me this morning as we enjoy the presence of the Lord together. I bring you greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I believe that everyone is doing well today. If in case you are out there listening to me online, and for the few of us that are here and that you are not feeling well, my prayer, my desire is that the Lord who is gracious, the Lord who is merciful, will reach out to you in his own grace and mercy and lift you up, strengthen you. Thank you so much for the privilege, Pastor Nate Bishop. I was so glad when they said to me, <laughs> come to the house of the Lord and proclaim the gospel. The very thing that can deliver people from their situations. Oh, All right, this morning, by the grace of God, we are going to be looking at the book of Psalm 34. And I will call on all of you, those who are watching online, and those of you who are here, to be in a standing position so we can read just a verse or two from that long psalm. And after that, we will take our seats, and I will take our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 34. Verse 8 says, Test and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Let's take our seats. May the Lord bless his words, his red words to our heart in Jesus' name. Father, this morning, with humility of heart, we come before you as our God and our King, our friend who lives forever. And because he lives, we also will live. Oh, what a joy, what a privilege. That at all times when we are gathered together corporately to worship, that we will be reminded of the fact that we have a God who lives and will live forever. And because he lives, we will also live. Our God and our Father, we are gathered online this morning so that, Lord, we will hear you speak to our hearts. You have started speaking speaking to our hearts through the songs that we have heard. And Lord, it is now time to hear you speak to our hearts in your word. I pray, O oh God, that you use me this morning as a vessel of honor, a vessel that will bring forth your word, that truth, the truth that will deliver, the truth that will set free. Lord, use me this morning to glorify yourself in our midst, in our presence. Use me this morning, O oh God, to bless someone today. Use me this morning to heal soul diseases. Use me, oh God, this morning. Just so that you would bring forth your glory. That magnificent glory. In a way that we will savor that glory. And worship you in truth and in spirit. Thank you, blessed Savior. It is in Jesus' mighty name I have prayed. Amen. Amen. Once again, good morning. And uh, I am going to be talking about, you know, a topic that I actually got from the text where we have read. That verse 8, it says, See that the Lord is good. Now, the whole idea of seeing has gone just beyond seeing. It captures the whole sense of understanding. 
So in another word, see in an understandable way that truly the Lord is good. And I know that I will have testimony here this morning that truly the Lord is good to all of us. He is good. And that's what I want Forrest family to know. That God is good to you. And therefore, if God is good to you, what do you need to do? He deserves our praises. When you understand that God is good to you, he deserves your allegiance or your loyalty. When you understand that the Lord is good to you, he deserves your absolute trust. And I pray that you would praise him. You will be loyal to him and that you will trust him this morning and beyond. Now Psalm, Psalm 34, a wonderful psalm, is one, one of my favorite psalms uh, in the Bible. I just love going there. I just love reading that. And it reminds me of a lot. But David actually was the one who composed this psalm and he sang it to a particular group of people. But just for me to take you and give you a kind of a context or a background of what happened. Oh, it was a psalm that, you know, David found himself in a city or a town of the Philistines. And he began to behave as if he was mad in that town. And he saw how the Lord rescued him in that place. And he wrote some of these words that are songs that we can sing them today. There are principles therein for all of us to derive from. David then was a fugitive when Saul, the very Saul that David helped to deliver him from that spirit that will come upon him to torment him. The very Saul that David rose up as a young man and defeated Goliath that was insulting the God of Israel. The very king Saul that David has helped was so jealous. Now, this was what happened. Just to give you a context, that you remember the story when David killed Goliath and then he was coming back and the people were singing songs and, and then saying, uh, that David, I mean, Saul killed thousands, but David killed tens of thousands, and that was the problem. It all started at that time. And coupled with the issue of David being anointed to be the next king of Israel. And so, Saul wanted to kill David. He threw a spear at David to kill him, and David had to run because Jonathan, his, the son of uh, Saul, was David's best friend. He told him of the father's plan. David had to run. And when David ran away from the presence of Saul, he went straight to a place that is in the region of the Philistines. Imagine. The person that killed Goliath decided to run for refuge in that city, risking his life. And that was what happened. Now, if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 21, I would love to read that text so that we would have a background of that quickly. 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, verse 10. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10. If we are there, it reads, David fled that day from Saul's presence and went to King Achish of God. But Achish's servant said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Don't they think about him during their dances? Saul has killed his thousands, but David 
his tens of thousands. David took to heart. He took that word to heart. And he became very afraid of King Achish, of God. The king that is popularly known as Abimelech. Abimelech is a title to the kings. But that the real name is the one that is given here, King Achish. And David was afraid. He knew that they were going to kill him. So he pretended to be insane. In another word, he pretended to be mad. Now, this is what happened. In the presence, in, in their presence, he acted like a madman around them, scribbling or scribbling on the doors of the city gate and letting saliva. I cannot imagine how he was dramatizing that. Letting saliva coming out of his mouth and then dripping down through his beard like a madman. Look, that was what the king said. Look, he said, you can see the man is crazy. Akish said to the servants, to his servants, why did you bring him to me? Do, do I have such a shortage of crazy people that you brought this one to act crazy around me? And that's true. He was acting as a crazy person. Is this one going to come into my house? So when David heard about that, David knew that he was going to be in trouble. He ran to the town of the Philistines for refuge. He couldn't find refuge in that town. You know what he did? David left that place and he ran to a town that is called Adulam. In Adulam there was a cave. And he ran straight into the cave. And he took refuge in that cave. David remained in that cave. It was in that cave that the Lord gave him these words. That he composed this psalm. And that this psalm, he sang it. Now, this is how he did it. He did it because there were other desperate people. Now, if I continue reading uh, to chapter, chapter 22, verse 1, that you discover that his family relations, some of them followed him. And that some desperate people who probably were loyal to David followed him. And then when it was in their presence, just like a pastor would stand in a church and begin to read the Psalms, it was in their presence that he began to song, uh, sing that psalm. In their presence. And that's why he started by saying. This is what I derive from it. Because the Lord is good. He deserves my praise. And because the Lord is good to you. He deserves your praises. And David. Understanding that. From verses 1 to 3. You could see and hear. How David sung this psalm, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises will always be on my lips. And number one, under that, I would say that always overflow with praises to the Lord. Always overflow with praises to the Lord. David praised at all times. In fact, in Psalm 103, verse 1 to 6, the same David, you know, composed that psalm. And he said, Blaze the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Blaze his holy name. Blaze the Lord, O my soul. And do not forget all his benefit. I tell you, beloved, there is benefit in praising the Lord. Some of the benefits that David enjoyed at that time, he forgives iniquities when you praise the Lord. And when you praise the Lord, he heals your diseases. When you praise the Lord, he redeems you from the pit. When you praise the Lord, that's what David has experienced. He says, he crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good life. When you praise the Lord, he renews your youth like the eagles. And when you praise the Lord, this is what the Lord does. He executes righteousness and justice for the oppressed. And I understand why a man 
by name Malcolm Speed, wrote a song and said, when I think about the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for me, he said, my very soul shouts and cries out, hallelujah, thank God for saving me. You don't understand why people praise God sometimes until you ask them. They have reasons. And David had every reason to continually, always praise the Lord. Now, the second thing again I've seen in the first point that we are considering is that David wants us to always be missional, missional in our praises to God. When the people were gathered around him, this is what he did. David said, I am not boasting on myself because I was weak. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help my situation, but I will boast in the Lord and let others who are humble hear and be glad. So anytime you are singing praises to God, you sing praises in such a way that others who are humble in their hearts will hear and be glad. And even the nations around us will hear and be glad forever because of what Jesus had done on the cross for us. And so I believe in that psalm, David was singing the psalm in such a way that they have seen that marvelous, wonderful demonstration of the goodness of God displayed in such a way that they couldn't but to stand in awe of God. And David said, proclaim the Lord's greatness. Exalt his name in verse 3. Now, example that I will give here is the example of Silas. Paul and Silas, you remember that story? So imagine that. Paul and Silas, when they were walking and then a woman who was possessed, demon-possessed, or a girl that was demon-possessed, was following them. And she was affirming the fact that they were men of God. They carry a spirit that is greater than the spirit that lives in this world. <laughs> and, and you know what? She became more like a nuisance. And Paul just turned in the name of Jesus and rebuke and cast away the evil spirit in her. Not knowing that some people were using her to make money. And because of that, they caused a lot of trouble and they jailed Paul and Silas. <laughs> and they told the, the jailer, be careful, put an eye on these people. We don't want them to be out of this place. I cannot imagine that that Paul and Silas were beaten with wrath several times, were injured and locked in the inner cell of the prison. But these same guys were praying, and the Bible says they were singing songs, <laughs> singing songs of praise to God in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 40. Singing songs of praise to God. And you know what? God showed up. There was a violent earthquake that shook the whole place. And then the gates of the prison was broken. The chains on their legs were broken. They were set free. Yet Paul and Silas remained in the prison. When the jailer woke up, he thought that he had escaped. He took the sword that he had and wanted to kill himself. And then Paul intervened. Do not kill yourself. We are right in here. We didn't do it. It was the Lord that did it. We are right in here. They had confidence in the Lord. The Lord that broke the gates of the prison, the Lord that broke the chains, is able to take us out. We are right here. And you know what this jailer did? He came straight away, shivering, trembling, and then he went on his knees and said, What can I do to be saved? Oh, what a missional praise. What can I do to be saved? And quickly, Paul and Silas said to him, repent and believe in Jesus. Or believe in Jesus Christ. You and your household and you will be saved. And that's true. Beloved, no circumstance should stop you from praising the Lord. For God, God inhabits the praises of his people. And when God inhabits the praises of his people, then the benefits begin 
to roll. The second point, because the Lord is good to you. He deserves your allegiance. In another word, he deserves your loyalty. And the big question is, why? Now I understand that, you see, sometimes the way David found himself in that situation, it was a situation of David saying to God, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir, I cannot do it. I thought I was smart. I thought I was energetic. I devoured all the lions that wanted to devour, you know, uh, the, the cattles. You know, I, I killed Goliath, the, the strongest man in the Philistine. I thought I got it all, but I now know that I am the weakest person on earth. Weak. Feeble. Yes, sir, Lord. Yes, sir, Lord. In another word, submitting. He was submissive and obedient to whatever the Lord tells him to do. So in verse 4, look at verse 4. I want you to keep your Bible open because I didn't read on the whole Psalms, but I will mention something so that we can look at it. In verse 4, he said, the Lord delivers from fears. And that's why he says, I saw the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. He had fears running all around. Saul was chasing him. King Abimelech or Achish would kill him if he recognized him. He behaved like a mad person and sneaked and went to the cave of Adullam and hid himself in that place. This is, this is the sense here. God will never forsake his own. He will never forsake his own, in, if they find themselves in fear. It could be the fear of enemies. It could be human beings. It could be evil. It could be the fear of persecutors. We have a lot of persecutors around. Oppressors, they will oppress you because of your faith. People are being slaughtered and killed around the world today because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It could be the fear of the unknown. You don't even know why you are afraid. <laughs> you don't know. And it could be the fear of death. I don't want to die. He rescues from fears. Now, now I get it. That's why I think, you know, David in Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, Lord, are with me. Your wrath and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. He says, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's why it's a good thing. When they say to you, let us go to the house of the Lord. In his right hand side, there is pleasure forevermore. And not only David, even to Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, I mean 31 verse 6. When they were afraid of their enemies. God himself said to them, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go before you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will not abandon. And I, I understand that you have to be loyal to God in every situation. Yes, sir, Lord, I cannot on my own be as smart as I could to come out of that situation. Yes, sir, Lord, lead me out of my situation. And that's why Jesus, you know, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 15 tells us that Jesus 
frees those who were held captives in all their lives by the fear of death. He frees us. And how did he do that? He did it on the cross when he died and then went to the grave. And on the third day, God raised him from the grave. He conquered death. So why should you fear death? No wonder Paul would say, oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is in sin. Oh, death, where is your victory? The victory of death is in Christ Jesus. When you have Christ Jesus, you cannot be afraid of death. Because you will pass on to glory. Another point out of that is that when you believe in Jesus now, he has conquered death. He gives you his Holy Spirit. And that Spirit resides in you. And that's what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He says, God has not given us the spirit of what? Fear. That spirit, that spirit that is in us is the spirit of power, of love, of self-control. That even when you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, that spirit would enable you to exercise self-control. Even as you are loyal to God in that place. The Lord delivers from shame. In verse 5, David talks about that. He delivers from the shame of rejection. Now, I understand why David is talking about it. He delivers from the shame of oppression. Now, it is a shameful thing for you to be rejected. It is a shameful thing for you to be oppressed. When you are oppressed, like Paul and Silas locked in the prison, oppressed for something that is good, it could be a shameful thing in the eyes of the public. David, who had a house, was, was running up and down and ended up in a cave. Isn't that a shameful thing? The future king. Now I understand that David was rejected by Saul and Abimelech, but God did not reject him. Yes, you could be rejected by men in this world that we live, but that does not necessarily mean that God has rejected you or will reject you. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 23, the message version translation says that our master, the one we say yes, sir, to Jesus, has his arms open for you. When the public rejects you, you can go to him and he welcomes you. You might be rejected by people because of your outward appearance. It could be your skin color. We don't, we don't like him. <laughs> yeah. It could be maybe the size of your stomach. <laughs> we don't like the size of his stomach. It could be that he has a big head. I don't, I hate that big head thing. No, but the thing is, God does not look at the outside. Hallelujah. That's the good news. He doesn't look at the outside. God looks at the inside. <laughs> so it does not matter the way the public portrays you. It matters the way God portrays you. The Lord delivers from troubles. In verses 6 to 7, if you look at it there, he delivers from trouble. David used the word poor man. Oh my goodness. Poor man to describe the physical situation that he's going through. Poor man. Verse 7, let me... Verse 6 says, this poor man cried, oh, and now I could feel, you know, the weight of his word that he sang in that place. This poor man, wretched man. In another word, this weak man that cannot help himself. He cried out to God. David's cry was a natural production. It flows from the depth of his heart. And it carries the language of pain. This poor man cried out to Lord. Language of pain. That you can understand that truly this man is going through pain. 
And that language of pain expresses bitterness from the inside. In verse 7, David says, even in his painful and bitter situation, his loyalty is to the Lord. And that's why he says, the Lord's angel encamps around those who fear. Who fear. And there's a difference between this fear that is talked about here and the other fear. This fear is talking about reverence, worshiping God, adoring God, exalting God. You come to him with respect in your heart, with that posture of him being the master. Now, the third point, which is the last point for us here, is that because the Lord is good to you, he deserves your absolute trust. He deserves your absolute trust in verses 8 to 22. So the chunk part of the text is talking about trusting the Lord. And David is calling you and I, all of us, David is calling all of us here, and he's saying to us, come, test and see. And I'm not talking about trying God. No, 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 no. That would be a mistake. You cannot try God. Why, why do you want to try him? That's not, that's not the sense that is used here. This test is to discern you, feeble man, you, weak man, you, wretched man. Discern in your mind, in your mind and see that God is good. His goodness has been revealed even in general revelation. No wonder the psalmist will say, the earth is the Lord's and its fullness thereof, the whole world and they that dwell therein. And that the heavens declares the glory of God and that art beneath proclaims his handiwork. That is enough to tell you that God is good. And so, do not try God, but discern in your mind to know. And so David did that. He tested and trusted. Hallelujah. <laughs> he tested and trusted. He tested God, and he is now trusting God for divine protection. In verse 8, he is now trusting God for divine provision in verses 9 to 10. He is now trusting God for a good and godly life in verses 11 to 14. He is now trusting God for compassion. That he understands that the character of God is compassion. He is a, a compassionate God. He is trusting God for compassion in verses 15 to 18. And he is ultimately trusting God for redemption. The time that God would take him out of the cave of Adullam. He was trusting God for that. And he has seen God's work there. So let's, let's follow this bit by bit. Trust the Lord for divine protection. Verse 8. That's what it says there. Test and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge, who takes refuge in him. Now, in another word, you hide in him, he protects you. So, he's talking about divine protection. A purposeful action by God to cover you up from enemies, from evil. And so, when you trust God, you would definitely take refuge in him. Some today trust in their chariots and horses. Some trust in the government. Some trust in their strength and might. All of these things will fail you. David took refuge, or what you can call asylum, <laughs> in God. Now, it wasn't good for him to take asylum in the Philistines nation. He would have been killed. <laughs> and so God took him to a cave in Adelo. Where he took refuge. In the place. Psalm 46.1 says. 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And if you go further to Psalm 91, verse 1 to 4, it says, The one who lives in the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. The Lord is my refuge and fortress. I will trust him. His faithfulness will be my protective shield. That's the God that we are privileged to serve today. Now, the other point is that trust the Lord for divine providence. Ha. I cannot imagine David being in that cave, the cave of Adullam, and, and survive. Now, if you see the cave, now you'll be amazed. It's rocky. <laughs> and then he, he was there. So in another word, he was living with some animal, some kind of animal. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, they run to caves too. And if you know Israel, if you go to the, all these, uh, the Judean desert, there is also the, 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 the desert of Engedi, where you have these wild gods, uh, goats. Let me try to phrase. Goats, animals, wild ones. They are there. And that's the place where there is a stream that flows out of that place. And that stream in Israel, after the Dead Sea, which is a bad place, because you cannot drink the water of the Dead Sea. You die. It's salty. Things die inside. It is, uh, but just in the desert of Engede, at the cave of David, there is a stream that flows. No wonder David would sit and sit as the deer, because there are deers there, the mountainous deers. As the deer panted for the stream of water. So that inspiration comes probably by a way of observing the behavior of a deer. Fresh water you can drink from in that place. So, divine providence. God's divine providence. And the question is, what is divine providence? I love what John Piper has explained about divine providence in a very good book that he, he just brought out. It's called Providence. And, and he said that the word is actually a word that comes out of provide. And that provide is divided into two. The pro and the vide. And so in a Latin sense, the pro is on behalf of. The vide is to seek. And so what he is saying is that it means that to see on behalf of and divine providence with that simply means that God is seeing on your behalf. He is seeing on your behalf. That you cry out to him. He knows what is best for you for you to be able to serve him well in your situation. And a very good example is the example of Abraham. So that sense of God's divine providence is captured in that, in Genesis chapter 22, verses 7 to 8, and verse 14. It talks about that. You remember when Isaac asked Abraham, Behold, everything is complete. How about that? How about the, 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 the lamb for the burning sacrifice? Or the born sacrifice? Abraham said to him, son, the Lord will do what? The Lord will provide. And you know what that means? And of course, the Lord provided. And so when Abraham had that experience or encounter with the Lord, Abraham called the place what? Jehovah Jireh. Simply means the Lord will provide provide. And that is the sense of God's divine providence. And David is bringing that beautifully out to say that those who fear him, those who reverence him, God divinely provides uh, for them. What about Prophet Elijah? You remember the story of Prophet Elijah? Uh, Prophet Elijah, God divinely provided for Prophet Elijah through ravens. They provided bread. I cannot imagine that. And then meet. And then God positioned Prophet Elijah 
in a, in a place that is called Brook Cherit. And there was fresh water out of the desert that Elijah was able to swallow the bread and the meat. Now imagine yourself sometimes eating just bread without water and how that will hold you here in the neck. And then if you are not careful, you cannot breathe. Right? And so you need water to kind of push it. So that it will go deep down here and then begin to walk. God provided that divinely for prophet Elijah. When you fear the Lord, in verse 9, David says, you lack nothing. You lack nothing because God is there to provide for you. And that's why 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that was done through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That God has called you. He will care for you. And Paul says, God, who did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will that same God, together with his son, not provide for us all things? In Romans 8.33, you can find that there. And so Paul, in, in verse 10, he, he uses this illustration of a lion. Now, I, what I understand from the lion, if you go, he say, young lions lack food and go hungry. But those who seek the Lord will not lack good, any good thing. Now, this is the thing. Young lion, he said, young lion. They are novice. Young lion, they are inexperienced. <laughs> young lion, right? So they, have, they are inexperienced. I think the whole idea is that they cannot on their own sometimes have the strength to be able to kill another animal that will serve as a food. Young lion. And you see, the thing again is that they cannot ask God. <laughs> they lack that ability. It is only in us, human, that God has created in his image and likeness and he relates with us. And so, God, I mean, uh, David in this place is saying that this animal cannot, but you, when you ask, then imagine the privileged position that God has placed you, that you can, you know, relate with him at that point. No wonder Matthew would have that understanding and say in Matthew chapter 7 verse 11, that if you who are evil knows how to good, give, good, um, give good gifts to your children, how much more of our father? Who lives in heaven? David went further to say, trust the Lord for a good life. And I like it. Verses 14, uh, verses 11 to 14. He talks about that in that place. And I, I'll read that. He said, come children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is someone who desires life? Loving a long life to enjoy what is good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace, pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, now, now one thing that I understand in that place is that what the, the question of how, you know, how do you have good and godly life is something that can be addressed by simply saying that you're listening to God's word. Now, what is David saying? Remember, those desperate people that were with him, his relations that were with him, he was declaring to them, singing that song to them. And he is addressing them and telling them that if you want good life, this is what you need to do. And that's, that's true. David is saying, recounting his experience, but he said, fear the Lord. How would you get the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord, Proverbs tells us, is the beginning of knowledge. What knowledge? God's word. And so, you listen to God's word and reverence him. In verse 11, it tells us there. And of course, for young people, Psalm 119, verse 9 says, if you hide God's word in your heart, then what happens? You will not sin against God. And that same word will be a light and a lamp to our path, to our 
uh, uh, I mean, um, to, to our feet. And, and so it is important. And then secondly, David says in verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and lips from deceitful speech. And of course, that is the language that James understood proper when James in chapter 3 talks about taming your tongue. Very small part of the body, but it can be destructive. It can divide a church. It can divide a house. It can divide a nation. And that's why James puts it very well by saying that that small thing is corrupt. If you cannot tame it, it can cause fire. In fact, James even said the tongue is a fire. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> because he knows how destructive it can be. And then David went further to say in verse 14. If you look at verse 14 there, he says that you need to turn away from your evil. And that turning away is a 180 degree turn away from evil to good. You have to. That scripture will talk about fleeing away from sin or immorality. No, these are things that you need to take an action and stay away from. God has given you the grace that you need to resist all kinds of worldly passions. And so, how do you do what is good? He said, seek peace and pursue it. Peace is good. There is turmoil in the world. Imagine yourself, sometimes when you have crisis in your house, how do you feel? Do you feel good? No. Peace is good. All of us need peace. One day, we shall enjoy ultimate peace. And that's the thing. So trust the Lord because the Lord is compassionate to you. That's what David tells us in verses 15 to 22. In these verses, David expresses how the Lord was compassionate to him when he was helpless. Now, if you go to that place, David was helpless. God was, the Lord was compassionate to him. When he was troubled, in verse 17, the Lord was compassionate to him. When he was heartbroken, the Lord was compassionate to him. And in, that's in verse 18. The A part, the B part says, when he was crushed in the spirit, the Lord was compassionate to him. Now, two things I observe with this uh, list here. The first one, helpless, trouble. These are things that you can experience and see at the physical level. That somebody is helpless, that is troubled around. But when it comes to the issue of being heartbroken, or the issue of being crushed in the spirit, these are mostly some internal things that exist. And until you open up, nobody sees. And these are things that you experience when you are completely hopeless, when you are depressed. And so, God is compassionate to those kind of people. That's what David is telling us in this place. And he went further to say in verse 22 that all those who take refuge in him, he will not punish them. Now, see verse 21 for a minute. Verse 21. Uh, we would end very soon. Verse 21. For a minute now in verse 21 evil brings dead and this is what it reminds me evil brings dead and then paul in romans chapter 6 verse 23 the wage the wages of sin is what is dead now but look at what uh david also did but when the evil persons repent of his sin then he would leave evil brings dead but when the evil person repents of sin he will, or, or his evil ways, he will live. That's the second part of, uh, you know, Paul's words in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the good news is that evil person, helpless and troubled and brokenhearted people, and those who are crushed. Now, this is the good news. That Jesus came for the brokenhearted. Jesus came for those who are 
captives and he wants to set them free. Jesus wants to set free the oppressed. And he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that Lord's favor is demonstrated on the cross. He demonstrated on the cross by dying on a cross and shedding his blood to be that substitutionary atonement on the cross. Jesus took our place so that we would take his place. Jesus ascended to his glorious presence of the Father to prepare a place for all of us so that he will come back and take those that he purchased and washed by the blood. That was shed on the cross. And of course he will return again. To judge the unrighteous. That time is going to come. Let me announce to you. Church. That there is a city. And the name of that city is city of refuge. And let me also announce to you. That I know the king of that city. The king of that city is Jesus Christ himself. When you run to him, you would find refuge for your soul. His arms are open wide. He is ready to embrace you. In that city of refuge, where you will have rest for your soul. And that's my prayer today. That as you listen to his word, you would respond to his call. And run to the city of refuge. A place where your soul's diseases would find healing. A place where your depression would be over. A place where your heartbrokenness would be delivered. That is the place that you and I need to run to. Will you come to him today? He is waiting. Father, we thank you. Thank you for being that city of refuge for us. Help us that we will run and find rest. That as many who have heard you right now, I pray that your word will resonate in their minds. And that you will convict them and convince them. That they will be drawn to you, O God. The one who is worthy. The one who is able. Thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' mighty name I have prayed. Amen. God bless you.